This is Supernatural Selection on DeviantBehaviorRadio.com, hosted by Kevin the Bastard. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Supernatural Selection. I'm your host, Kevin the Bastard, and with me this week, once again, is Mr. David Davis. David, how you doing this week, buddy? Well, it's a little early in the morning. This is our second, uh day in a row of early morning recording but it's a great way to start off i think yeah the best part of waking up is the falk monster in your cup oh yeah okay i think i just made myself ill (laughs) um so uh, well that's a good segue actually our uh topic this week is again part two of our now three-part series on the falk monster and I am really excited about this. You've been knocking it out of the park with these, and uh, can't wait to dig in. Well, uh, first I want to know how you're feeling after that last episode. Cheated, as a Mississippian. Um, <laughs> I, I actually got to thinking about this. You know, Arkansas, um, you know, they got the Falk Monster, there's the White River Monster, they've got their own, they've got several cryptids, and what have we got? Um... I don't know, I guess the KKK, really, is yeah. the only monster we have here. <laughs> you know, you um, beat me to it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> same wavelength, buddy. I know. It's uh, it's sad, but I'm actually going to start digging into Mississippi cryptids after this because oh, yeah. I'm fascinated with the whole idea of local lore. So You've got to um, have some sort of river monster out there. Something, at least. I mean... Uh, I, I really do want to go back and do an episode about the uh, Pascagoula UFO abduction from the 70s. Ooh, that's fun. That's our that's our big claim to fame as far as paranormal goes. So, okay. yeah. All right, so well, you, oh, yes. Yeah, what you got for me, buddy? All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, dive in. Just a little brief recap. So last time we started talking a bit about... Uh, Charles B. Pierce, a filmmaker who had become important to the overall legend of Boggy Creek. Indeed. Uh, but we did take a diversion into the nature of the area where these beastly sightings occurred. Uh, we also dove into some early encounters that would bear striking similarities to the events we are covering today. And we also added the concept of cowboy Bigfoots to the public, public consciousness, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're... We're going to get some more scenes with horses, too, which will be fun. I am a little concerned about that, but we're going to get into that as we go, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like we need a Cowboy Bigfoot country song. For and sure. I'm sure that's going to happen. We could do that as a special episode. We'll, we'll write the lyrics together. Oh, that's going to be great. And I've got a friend that knows how to play guitar. This is going to be awesome. Perfect. So... The main difference between our topic today and last week is the sightings we covered last week were mostly described as, like, wild men. While this this week we are, like, firmly in Squatch territory. And uh, I want to remind everyone, don't forget to pick up your tickets to Squatch Country Jamboree at Disney World next year. (laughs) The most foul-smelling ride in the park. It's gonna smell like skunks and ape shit. (laughs) So... I think what we should do, we're going to get back into it, and, you know, we're going to talk about that Falk flap, because we, we talked, we set that up quite a bit early on. We really did. So, we're going to get into it today. But, again, our source is Lyle Blackburn's book, The Beast of Boggy Creek. 
So not Grey's Anatomy. Unfortunately not. Okay, because I really got to know where my talc flaps are so I can start putting some talcum powder under there. Yeah, I am not a huge fan of the terminology talc flaps, but we're already digging I into it. I am, dude. That is like one of my favorite things about this series so far. <laughs> All right. So let's let's dive into our Falk flaps then. Make sure you yes. palpate the region. <laughs> let's. <laughs> um. So the bulk of the sightings we're going to be covering in this episode are mid twentieth century, mm-hmm. specifically like the mid nineteen sixties to early nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to cover several of the events that lead up to and were covered by Charles B. Pierce's. Legendary docudrama, The Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, we got a shitter attack incoming. Um, certainly do. I am looking forward to this. And uh, also, I think it's funny that like the, the main flap occurred during the same time as the, quote, golden age of serial killers, mm-hmm. when there was so much lead in the gasoline. <laughs> well, you know, lead is part of a balanced diet. It really is. So, just to reemphasize our primary source, I've, I've pulled up a few different documents, but we're mainly working from uh, Lyle Blackburn's book. The full title is The Beast of Boggy Creek, The True Story of the Falk Monster. Mm-hmm. I really recommend this book. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's um, not too... Uh, it's, it's skeptical enough, but still very insightful. Yeah, and I love me a somewhat skeptical book about the paranormal, and I'm going to check see if this thing's available on uh, Kindle. There you go. So, the first major 20th century sighting of what we can call the Falk Monster, or the Beast of Boggy Creek, occurred in 1946. Blackburn points out, however, that this was not widely reported at the time. This is also true of the 1960s sightings. Again, multiple sightings of a particular animal were happening with regularity, but weren't really known outside of the Boggy Creek area. Right. Uh, I, I really want to remind everybody, uh, if you don't remember from last time, about the population density and the nature of the population out there. Um, even if these folks had headed to like a major urban center to report this stuff, no one was really going to believe a bunch of swamp people yelling about a hair monster. <laughs> I mean, alternately, alternately, some of this is in the 60s. Mm-hmm. They may have thought it was a hippie. I'm just wondering like, if the hair bear bunch was actually just a bunch of uh, swamp monkeys. Oh my god, that... Uh, yeah, dude, <laughs> you are one of the few people I know that remembers the Hair Bear Bunch, so kudos to you. <laughs> oh, and that's mostly because I caught that Jellystone show. Oh, was, really? It was a lot of fun. Very cute. I gotta check that out. Yeah. Um. So, there were other sightings prior to what we consider this main flap, but they were usually kept quiet by locals. Indeed, mm-hmm. if it weren't for a certain journalist in the 1970s, we may not even know of this creature as the Boggy Creek Monster, but rather the Jonesville Monster. Really? Okay, well that's interesting. I want to point out, there's also a Jonesboro in Northeast Arkansas that you should not get it confused with. Jonesboro is a, which I did while I was looking over the outline, Jonesboro is a fairly large, bustling college town, while Jonesville is... Not. (laughs) 
Yeah, and you're going to hear a lot of uh, places that are named after, like, families, and that's just how those towns started back then. It was just one family, great yeah. settlement, a few other people latch on, and before you know it, you have a small town. Yes, and uh, also, as we go, I'm going to be correcting our pronunciation a bit because I asked Kit a few questions about some of the towns mentioned. Okay. And she corrected me, so we'll get to that. All right, so... Um, sightings around the small community of Jonesville, six miles south of Falk, go back as far as er uh, the early 1900s. Hmm. Jonesville was a small community founded by the Jones family, and is unsurprisingly more isolated than Falk is, <laughs> and only a few miles west of the Sulphur River State Wildlife Management Area. Man, I can only imagine what living in Jonesville is like. I mean, you shoot one person and you've taken down the sheriff, the mailman, the mayor, and probably your <laughs> uncle. <laughs> it, it's it's definitely like one of those communities, you know what I mean? Yes. So, Blackburn's book gets a little uh, poetic with his description, um, like, his prose is good, but also he gets very poetic, he's a songwriter as well. Um, okay. But what gotcha. I want to get across is that this place is perhaps the most perfect community for a monster sighting, surrounded by thick woods, a tangle of creeks, and bordered by a wildlife refuge. Fuck. Look, I'm not going to lie. There's so many jokes I can make here. I, I can't even pick one. But honestly, there is a part of me that this appeals to. I mean, maybe it's the Ted Kaczynski in me. <laughs> I don't know. I like the idea of going out to the middle of nowhere and just living off the grid and having to deal with squatches. Well, you've got the beard for it now. Well, I actually trimmed it down, but yes, I, I <laughs> definitely still have the look of a man who just crawled out from uh, under a trailer. You just, you just come out, what year is it? <laughs> My name's Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it's funny, the older I get, the more I want a compound. I, you I, know, I don't know if that's I, a good thing. I don't know if it's a good thing. I also kind of think maybe that's a white people thing. I don't know. We didn't, It's like there's a part of us that just congregate to compounds as we get older. Oh, my gosh. So, um, yeah. Now one, of the, <laughs> now, one of the earlier sightings that Blackburn uncovered um, was in 1946 from Leslie Greer, who served as sheriff of Miller County from 67 to 74. Man, that guy won every election. <laughs> um, it was not Greer who saw the creature, but a local woman who stated she had seen an ape-like creature move from a field to a lower tangle of bushes. Greer didn't really put much thought until this, uh, into this until later in 1971. This was the case with many locals who had sightings or heard of encounters, Many of them would come forward with the events, uh, or would come forward after the events of 1971. Okay, all joking aside, that's how this sort of thing works, you know. It's very similar to the Me Too movement. You see something, or something happens to you, and you don't want to be a laughing stock. But then you find out that other people have had the same experience... And there's safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. So you come forward with your story finally because you're like, well, everybody else is coming forward and holy crap, I got to get this out there. 
and there's nothing wrong with that. I firmly yeah. believe, like, you know, well, yeah, no, it's you're opening the floodgates once it happens. So, yeah, that is, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just takes one person to kind of, like, introduce it to the conversation and normalize it enough for other people to jump in. Yes. So, one of these people that had an encounter and then came forward with it later was um, James Crabtree, who claimed to see the creature while fishing in 1955. Remember the name Crabtree for later. I remember the name Crabtree from our weird little folk music thing last episode, mm-hmm. so that's not a problem. wonder if we could play that on the show. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, we'll we'll, pr- we'll make a link to the music video in the show notes or something. Yeah. So James Crabtree's encounter was unique in that what he saw uh, seemed to be an ape-like creature on the bank of the river washing its own feet. All right, that is just there's something so quaint about that in my mind, <laughs> and I'm smitten with the idea of just a Sasquatch sitting there going. Oh, man, what a rough day. I, I just need to get all this dirt off my feet. Oh, that is so cool. Is that a redneck? <laughs> yeah, just this Bigfoot just kind of like with its feet in the water, kind of splishy-splashy. Yeah, I know. It's cute in a <laughs> it, way. It is. It's very cute. So, you know, this wasn't a particularly like uh, violent encounter or anything like that. Which is good for a change with yeah. this, this story. Yeah, because we, we'll, we'll see that the Boggy <clears throat> Creek mon- uh, monster ends up being kind of intimidating. It it really is. Of course, like I said, southeastern part of the United States, we got a lot of violent monkey ghosts. Yeah, everybody's a little more violent in the southeastern United States. You're not wrong. Look at Like, just look at the Waffle football. Houses. Yeah, and look at college football fans. <laughs> um... So let, let's talk about 1965, because it was a particularly key year, and it would be foundational to Charles Pierce's eventual movie. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about Lynn Crabtree. Okay. So Lynn Crabtree's encounters would be recorded for posterity by J.E. Smokey Crabtree, who we're just going to call Smokey. Yeah. Now, he recorded all this in a self-published book, Smokey and the Falcon Monster, a prized book in the Sasquatch community. How in the hell is this not a children's book, and why has it not been adapted into a show on Nick Jr.? It sounds so cute, doesn't it? It's Smokey does. and the Falcon Monster. Hey, Falcon Monster. Hey, Smokey. I mean, <laughs> I could see it. I would watch it, honestly. Right? So, um, I'm going to paraphrase Blackburn's rendition of the events as efficiently as I can. Like, he goes into this event uh, in quite a lot of detail. Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Um, So, in the early evening, Lynn, a seasoned woodman for being 14 years old, was hunting squirrels on the lake near the Crabtree property. He had his 20-gauge shotgun loaded with small animal shot, like rabbit shot. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um... So while hunting, he heard the sound of a horse trumping through the growth around the lake. Okay, again with the horse. Right. And this is likely a neighbor's horse that got loose frequently. I guess there was an issue with this horse always getting loose. I, um, I, I question any horse that can pick a lock, but yeah, let's move on. <laughs> um, however, what also alarmed him was the sound of a dog. There was a dog yelping and barking and that sort of thing. That's curious. So he ended up making his way to the source of the noise, only to encounter a, quote, 
hairy man or gorilla type beast with very long arms around seven or eight feet high. All right, that is terrifying right off the bat. You know, you're expecting to see a horse and a dog, and then you see a giant gorilla. Which, I don't know, I guess a horse and the dog are playing in your mind? I don't know. It's just like a, a glitch in the simulation or something, man. That's... Yeah, or like the friggin' uh, the, the, the animals from that Bremen story or something. <laughs> um, so the creature noticed Lynn, and Lynn raised his gun in response. Uh, the creature didn't so much <clears throat> react to the gun, but rather just started to wander towards Lynn. <clears throat> <laughs> right? So, Lin- hey, buddy, how you doing? What's them tubes? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lynn shouted a warning, aimed for the head of the creature, and shot at it, and it just kept approaching. Lynn fired twice more, but to no effect, and he ended up running home. All right, look, I'm just going to go ahead and say this is what we in the industry call a Bigfoot facial. What industry are you talking about? Because that's I'm disturbing. Not, I, I'm not going into that. All I'm saying is that there's an industry involving Bigfoot facials. Well, what's the name of the studio? That way I can look them up on Pornhub. I'm not saying. Damn. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So, Lynn runs home, um, which anyone would. Obviously. So, so, he runs home, and at this point, the crab trees had guests over um, as Lynn returned agitated. Uh, Smokey, Lynn's father, went to the spot Lynn had his encounter and found damage to the tree trunks from the squirrel shot around seven or eight feet up the trunk. Now, nobody really questioned Lynn because he was considered an honest and trustworthy kid, but they didn't really mention this event to anyone, uh, you know, until the Falk flap a few years later. Jesus Christ, why would you? Yeah, it's, it's very weird. And it's, that's, it's that's a great example. Weird. That's a great example of that kind of thing where you just kind of like keep it to yourself. Yeah, my kid saw a giant monkey beast in the woods. I ain't telling no damn body. And he's such a good kid, too. Mm-hmm. So, Blackburn does point out two important details regarding this encounter. One, there were no apparent signs of shell casings in the area. And secondly, as an experienced hunter, how might Lynn have missed the creature three times? All right, I am literally going to go with shock and terror here. Because seeing that thing, I'd be shaking. I don't mm-hmm. care how, quote, experienced a woodsman I am. Uh, I'm willing to wager he was firing in haste. Mm-hmm. And that can throw your aim off. I also want to point out that if these creatures are not strictly physical creatures... Mm-hmm it may have gone straight through the creature. And, you know, one of the other suggestions is that maybe the creature picked up the shells, like, out of curiosity or something. Sure, that no, that's a very good point. It may have been like a, ooh, this will go good in my shiny things collection. And, yeah, I mean, that could have been it. So, Lynn himself never really spoke of the incident with anyone. Apparently he was, he was incredibly rattled by this, and we only know this because Smokey recorded it. Okay, I'm gonna have to say this. Every time you say Smokey, I'm just imagining Chris Tucker from Friday in this story. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're gonna have to come back to the horse thing later. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have some more stuff with the horse. But also, <laughs> like, you would have had Chris Tucker in the area back then. They would have run him out of town. 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But I also picture like, look, it's Friday. You ain't got shit to do. We gonna look for monkey men. (laughs) Man, getting high and chasing uh, Sasquatches would be so fun. Oh my god, and you know, uh, I may have to do that coming in uh, November. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Uh, So yeah, what else we got? So, about three miles away, exactly when I couldn't lock down a date for, Mary Beth Searcy, a teenager, was studying... Oh yeah, here we go. Sorry, sorry, this is my first correction. The Searcy's are related, it's actually pronounced Searcy. Searcy. And they are... Uh, relatives of the folks that founded Searcy, Arkansas. Hmm. So, just a little aside there, as we're going forward, it's actually pronounced Searcy, uh, like search. Okay. So, yeah, Kit wanted me to make sure we get that right, because we don't want to be chased by people with torches. Fair enough. So, Mary Sorry Beth Searcy, mm-hmm. a teenager, was home studying for school with her mother, older sister, and baby niece. Her father and brother were elsewhere. They were, of course, buying cigarettes and never came home again. <laughs> um, and like I said, also, there's a town called Searcy. It is north of Little Rock. And I am about 100% positive that these guys are related to the folks that founded it. You know, just local history there. Yeah, you probably have a lot of that situation out there. Oh, um, yeah. I can imagine that it's less families and more of broods. Yeah. And we're, we're going to talk about a brood later on. but um, Oh, yeah. So, Mary Beth was asked to close a bedroom window to keep the baby from catching a chill. So, as she reached the window, she saw a large creature emerging from the woods in the moonlight. Naturally, the woman spent an anxious night alone in the house. And that's about all we have regarding that story. You know what? I'm willing to wager, wager you could just take this and fill in some of the details from the uh, Hopkinsville Goblins incident. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. like, it sounds horrifying. Yeah, just a moon ape. <laughs> Ghostly moon apes in the woods. <laughs> so, um, now we're going to go ahead and we're going to turn our attention to the Falk Flap. Hell yeah. So, really, it's around 1970, or in the 1970s, where things began to blow up and reports of the Boggy Creek Monster began to spread across the local media, such as the Arkansas Gazette, Texarkana Gazette, uh, Gazette, Texarkana Daily News, and Little Rock's Dispatch. It was only a matter of time until the Associated Press and United Press International took these stories and ran with them on a national stage. And I am so sure they showed nothing res- but respect to the locals. <laughs> I really hope you can hear the sarcasm in that because I'm doing it as hard as I can. I... It, I'm sure the articles were like, local hillbilly sees ghost monkeys. <laughs> well, and you know, with the uh, AP and other articles, like I'm sure there was probably some of that going on. But what we'll find with some of the initial reporting of these events is that they weren't very judgmental. They're very yeah. kind of plain spoken and matter of fact about it. And in all honesty, a lot of times the AP just picks up the article and reprints it. Yeah, we don't know anything so, about the United Press International, though. Those guys sound like assholes. Bunch of fuckers. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> the key report that marks this period, kind of kicks it off, was mm-hmm. May 3rd, 1971, in the uh, in the 
in the Texarkana Gazette. Uh, Gazette. I keep saying Garzette. What the fuck? It's all on? the R's in yeah. Texarkana Gazette. Rutenbach. Yeah. I, I, I'm just pronouncing it like a local would, I suppose. You know, you're not wrong. <laughs> so, uh, in this 1971 edition of the Texarkana Gazette, there we go. Um, yes. This, this report was written by Jim Powell. It's here we, where we transition to the events that surrounded the Ford and Taylor families. So, this, based on what I can find, was a mixed household consisting of Bobby Ford, his wife Elizabeth, brother Don Ford, brother-in-law Charles Taylor, and sister-in-law Patricia. And this was about 10 miles south of larger Texarkana, near Falk. I'm not going to lie, this is a fairly normal arrangement of family living in this part of the world. Um, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't my brother, Uncle Charles Taylor, <laughs> my sister, Mom, Patricia. I mean, <laughs> you know. Again, j- the jokes write themselves. You guys feel free to fill in your own. Yeah, and, and you know, that that's that thing about, like, that brood sort of thing, where it's just exactly. a, a, a larger extended family. So. Yeah, and honestly, it's cheaper to live like that out there. Yeah. You don't have to buy more land. Yeah, everybody's got a pretty sizable chunk of land anyway, so... Yeah. So, the incident involving the Ford and Taylor families took place over the course of a couple of days. The first incident was on a Wednesday of that week when Elizabeth and Patricia had heard noises from around the house. It's kind of a rather innocuous start to what would become uh, a night of terror in a couple of days. Oh, that's how it always starts, man. Mm -hmm. Hey, do you hear a bump? Hey, is that a gorilla? <laughs> is there a circus in the area? <laughs> There's, You know what? I hate to say it. Every single thing we cover can pretty much either be owls or escaped circus animals. Could be carnies, too. Oh, actually, we've got the fair in town right now, and let me tell you, that's a horrifying bunch. <laughs> yeah, the circus just left my local area. Oh, boy. So, kind of convenient that they popped up in your area. Could it be the same oh, circus? Yeah. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> There's only one set of carnies. <laughs> and they, they teleport. <laughs> and some Lovecraftian carny demons. Uh, just, I'm picturing uh, Phantasm, but with circus folk. Oh, dude, you gotta write that as a horror story. <laughs> just like there's only one carnival ever. Yep. So, um, on a Friday night, around midnight, Elizabeth was sleeping in the front room of the home. She claimed that, quote, I saw the curtain moving on the front window and a hand sticking through the window. At first Jesus. I thought it was a bear's paw, but it didn't look like that. It had uh-huh. heavy hair all over it and it had claws. I could see its eyes. They looked like coals of fire, real red. It didn't make any noise, except you could hear it breathing. See, I really find this interesting. First off, the breathe, just breathing thing, that is definitely not a bear. Because a bear has like all those weird-ass noises, kind of things. But this sounds like the reflected light in an animal's eyes. Is it a pelican? It's Yes, it has pelicans for eyes, David. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. But... I think it's really interesting because humans don't do that. This is definitely animalistic eyes as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, your more human Sasquatches of the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, there have been reports of finding Sasquatches wearing clothes, and I'm willing to wager the Falk monster is just naked as a jaybird. Oh, yeah, probably. 
Like, yeah. if, if it has anything, it's probably wearing, like, suspenders where it only has one suspender on. <laughs> it's wearing half of a pair of overhauls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if we were to say he was wearing an outfit, it would probably be that. Yes. Um, well, and just, like, the fact that it's just kind of, like, breathing, it sounds like me reaching for a beer in the refrigerator. Just, <laughs> uh, where is it? Uh, Goddamn. <laughs> yeah. So, um... <laughs> So naturally, like, she screams. Why so, wouldn't you? Yeah. So Bobby, Don, and Charles make their way to the back of the house with a flashlight to search the area, and they catch a glimpse of the creature that they would later describe as, quote, seven feet tall and about three feet wide across the chest. It is quote. at this point, I would shit my pants. Yeah, so they, they see a wild Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was Dwayne the Rock Johnson because if it was John Cena they wouldn't have seen it exactly thank yes. you, thank you. Um, you're welcome so Bobby would later state quote at first I thought it was a bear but it runs upright and moves real fast it is covered with hair end quote mm-hmm. so the three men encounter this creature behind the house and immediately open fire apparently scaring it off okay you know, we said this during the Hopkinsville stuff, and we say this often. I'm not going to blame these guys. Big hairy hand reaches into the house trying to get my woman, and then you, and then whatever the hell that thing is, I'm shooting at it. <laughs> so they immediately call Fawkes' constable Ernest Walraven, another character we're going to hear about quite a bit. Oh, boy. Now, now, things are a little unclear here, so we can assume that they went back into the home and left the creature where it was, to make the call, and to get a sense of safety. Yeah. In a bit, Walraven arrived with a shotgun and a strong source of light, likely a a floodlight, and then that was around shortly after midnight. He handed Mm -hmm. them both and then promptly left, probably just trying to give them peace of mind. Here, you deal with this bullshit. I'm out. Peace! Yeah, but just Johnny Law just showing up, handing people a gun and a... (laughs) floodlight and just like yeah you do it <laughs> i'm trying to picture this happening in like los angeles or new york it's like hey man somebody broke into my store here i have a shotgun you know things just work differently in the country i guess <laughs> what happens in arkansas stays in arkansas gets buried in the swamp <laughs> so um so the group after this they kind of wait on the porch until they caught another glimpse of the creature at the edge of the property mm-hmm. they shoot the thing again and it appeared that it, it falls, right? So the, okay. men, the men approached the location, but were interrupted by the sound of screaming. So, Bobby makes his way back towards the home. Bobby's statement reads as, as such. I'm going to quote it here. Great. Quote, I was, walking, uh, I was walking the rungs of a ladder to get up to the porch when the thing grabbed me. I felt a hairy arm come over my shoulder, and the next thing I knew... Uh, we were on the ground. The only thing I could think about was to get the hell out of there. The thing was breathing real hard, and his eyes were about the size of a half dollar and real red. End quote. Okay. I had a mental image of this house living, you know, being from rural Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And you just threw all that out the window. How fucking high was this porch? <laughs> I mean, um, like, these guys must be real near the swamp and have built this thing up on uh, on stilts for flooding. Now, I, I've seen pictures of the property, and it's not too high up. I guess they just didn't have a stairs. They just did, like, a short ladder to get 
up onto the porch, I guess. I, I don't know, because I saw a picture it, of the place in the book, and it's not uh-huh. too, uh, it doesn't seem too high up. What the heck? It's not that hard to make stairs. I know a guy that made some as a as just out of boredom. Well, well, here's the thing. We don't know if it was their fault that they didn't have stairs because we'll find out later that they had just basically moved in. Okay. So that's... blame the asshole before Thank them. you. Yeah, I'm going to blame uh, dipshit McGillicuddy then. Yep. Always good old dipshit McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... This is where it gets real fun. So you know, yeah, this thing no, this, grabs this him. is really exciting. Yeah. So this thing like grabs him, starts breathing. You know, <laughs> so um, <laughs> Bobby manages to break free and then ran through the front door of the house, literally, not even <laughs> bothering to opening it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> Was he screaming? Through. Was he screaming, oh yeah, when he <laughs> ran through the fucking door? What the hell? Oh my god. Oh Christ. I can't blame him though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just get he just escaped from a monkey monster. Yeah. Like I wouldn't try to run through my door, but I don't know. Maybe doors uh in the it country are Maybe it's one of those doors that's made of like balsa wood and cardboard, like, you know, the cheap ones you can buy at Home Depot. Yeah. Maybe. So, Who knows? So yeah, so he runs through the door, quite literally. Um, yeah. So the, the the group, the remaining two, eventually make their way back into the safety of the house, but saw that the uh, through the windows that the creature moved rapidly into the field next to the home, vanishing into the night. Jesus. Right. I'm like, all this joking is, aside, this is a nightmare. This is a very fun encounter. Like this is it, like it is, and it 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 plays out beautifully in the uh, the movie. Yes. Yes. Um. So, you know, around 12.35 a.m., uh, Constable Walraven returns, having been called by the frantic group. So, Walraven kind of searches the area but finds nothing, but he stays with them on the property until about <laughs> 5 in the morning. Jesus Christ, you motherfuckers, I left you a shotgun and a floodlight. Aren't you Americans? What the <laughs> fuck? So, uh, around like 5 in the morning, they finally take off. Bobby was taken to the St. Michael Hospital to be treated for scratches and mild shock, likely because he barreled through a shut fucking door. <laughs> this is the most Looney Tunes moment we have or ever will cover on this show. At least until someone paints a tunnel on a rock. <laughs> I'm just picturing this guy running through the door, going, woo hoo woo 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, that tells you how scared he was, though, that he... I, no, seriously, like, didn't even bother to... <laughs> I'm sorry, this is the funniest thing we've covered in a while. It, it, it's very fun, like, I love this yeah. encounter. And it, it's, a, that's like the, I think, like, the key encounter in the movie that, like... It, it is. Yeah. Is so, this the same one that had the arm going through the window when the guy was taking the shit? I believe so, yeah, because okay. there, there are some, like changes that charles b pierce makes but well the, he made some funny damn changes well yeah and then also it's like i think that's taking from like another encounter so i think what he did is he took a couple mm. of encounters and kind of merged them together gotcha so um the next morning the group searched the area in the light of day <clears throat> they found a piece of metal siding around the house that had been quote ripped away they also wow. found damage to the windows and scratches on the front porch mm-hmm. they also found strange tracks in the dirt 
Now these tracks are important due to how distinctive they are. They only had three toes. That is extremely interesting because it is very, very close to the descriptions of the Yowie in Australia, except for the fact that its feet probably weren't on backwards. <laughs> and this is definitely not common in your typical North American Squatch cases. I also really want to drive home how big a deal that is because it's really dangerously close to a Scooby-Doo caper. Now, before we continue further, I just want to clarify Yowie spelled y, uh, Y-O-W-I-E and not Y-A-O-I, which is the gay anime porn. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a monster and not a genre. But maybe we can make some Yowie Yowie in. So oh my like, god, how has that not been done? <laughs> but um, yeah, so just for any of our more anime... Um, centric listeners, yes, we're not talking about gay shipping porn. Yeah, Australian uh, ghost monkeys, not uh, gay porn. But we're all about the, the gay anime porn here. Oh, dude, yeah, no. I mean, like, those actually usually have the best story. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, so let's continue. <laughs> so, yeah. So... These encounters that, um, this encounter that I had just talked about here, it, it's all pulled, uh, from direct quotes from articles by Jim Powell. Um, mm -hmm. and I want to bring up the point that these articles were not written in a sensational manner. Um, and, you know, Blackburn describes them as, like, flat and matter of fact, which is pretty much a great description of them. This was the trend for many of these kind of local articles. There's no judgment or cynicism, just reporting the incidents as they are relayed, perhaps a sign of the acceptance of the weirdness of the region. Okay, first off, I like that he reported them as so matter-of-fact because it really kind of the Jim Powell kind of has this whole, I have no idea how to spin this, I'm just going to put it down. Secondly, what in the hell goes on around there that this is just a second-page article along <laughs> with Aunt Margaret winning the Beat Festival? <laughs> you know, it's just uh, things are a little bit different down in the swamp. Jesus Christ, I'm glad I live in, like, you know, a vaguely hilly region and not the swamps. Oh, yeah, it's more defensible. Oh, yeah, definitely. Being on a bluff is great. <laughs> so, um, what we're going to see now is we're going to see a bunch of... Uh, like, we're going to see this incident snowball because there are going to be other sightings that happen, and we're going to see, like, there's kind of this movement pattern. So, yes. later on that month, there was a separate incident revealed on the May 24th, 1971 article in the Texarkana Daily News. Mm -hmm. So, Mr. and Mrs. D.C. Wood Jr. and Mrs. R.H. Sedgrass, residents of Texarkana, reported seeing a large hairy creature crossing Highway 71. Specifically, they were alarmed to see this creature dart across the road and were concerned that they were going to hit it with their car, but they noted that it was incredibly fast. Two details about their encounter became particularly important. They described its motion with a particular mention of it swinging its arms and comment that it appeared to resemble a large monkey. Was... Was it a ghost monkey? It sounds like it's a ghost monkey. Yeah, I know you hate that term, but... Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> what uh, what's interesting is that this sighting was about, like, five miles from the site of the Ford and Taylor incident. That is incredibly interesting, actually. 
So it, it the creature hasn't gone far. No. Now, with that said, these people, um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. D.C. Woods Jr. and Mrs. R.H. Sedgrass, they were familiar with the Ford and Taylor incident, which they considered a hoax. But their own experience kind of like softened their perception of that previous event. Well, that really makes sense, because, I mean, you know... I. The neighbors are always full of shit until you nearly run over a giant monster with a history of property <laughs> damage yourself. Well, I guess you were right about that moon ape. <laughs> I reckon that there moon ape really is real. I almost hit him with a sedan the other day. We're going to make some backstrap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that does make me wonder about Sasquatch jerky. I would imagine it would taste very gamey. You're right. It yeah. would taste very gamey, very tough, too. I can't imagine there's a lot of fat. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that, though. Yes, definitely. So, again, both of these incidents were covered by Jim Powell as the first journalist on the scene. He would become an important figure in Boggy Creek monster sightings because he would be the person to dub the creature the Boggy Creek monster, which stuck. He also mm -hmm. remarked that when he went to talk to the Powells... They were in the process of packing up a U-Haul, clearly rattled by what had happened. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, not the Powells. What am I talking about? The the Fords. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they were in the process of packing up a U-Haul, clearly rattled by what they'd seen, especially given that they'd only moved in about a week prior. <laughs> Yikes. Right? I'm not... I'm not going to lie, that does raise a very important question. You know how, like, if there's been a murder in a house, the uh -huh. realtor has to tell you about it? Mm-hmm. What about Bigfoot sightings? Do they have to tell you about that? And more importantly, why isn't there a retailer or a, a realtor who just buys up Bigfoot properties and then, like, markets, markets them? I know! I mean, I'd buy a Bigfoot house if I owned a gun. You know, the other thing is, like, I, I would love to live in a house that's had, like, ghost encounters or whatever. So, like, mm -hmm. if there are realtors out there who, like find houses that are haunted and try to, like, market them. That would be fantastic. That's, that's oh, a yeah. whole... Especially with all the all the kids being into the true crime these days, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, seriously. It's like, well, this is where uh, John Wayne Gacy was. You know, just whatever. <laughs> Has plenty of boy storage. You know, also, now that I think about it, part of the problem with that is if you go back and listen to a lot of the last podcast episodes about serial killers, it usually ends with, and they tore the house down. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, they tore down... Uh, 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 oh, good God, what's his name? The cannibal. Dahmer? Dahmer. They tore his whole apartment building and the place he worked down. Uh, oh, well, you know, maybe... Yeah. Uh, it makes me Bigfoot. Bigfoot! Bigfoot, on the other hand, that's, yeah. that's a different story. Those houses are still there, probably. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, a lot of those places are still there, and they, uh, at least at the time Blackburn, uh, published the book, he mentions that a few of those places are still still around. That's awesome. So, over the weeks, the story begins to shift, with Powell writing that the creature was likely a wildcat. The other theory, and the one that I want to pay particular attention to, was the idea that the encounter uh, with the, the, the Fords had been with a horse. Again, with the goddamn horses. Yeah, uh, there's something about horses that I do not trust now. I, I'm with you. I, I think we should start calling them speed tulpas. 
Okay, so the speed tulpa. Yeah, they're not real. They're not real. No, they're, they're, they're some. They're fey or something like that. I'm gonna start a horses aren't real website to compete with the birds aren't real website. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, by the end of uh, the run of the podcast, we're just gonna have like twenty dozen like fake conspiracy websites all powered by Squarespace. <laughs> we need a a an offer code from them. Yeah, Squarespace. If you're listening, we will make all the conspiracy websites you want. Yes. All right. So, you know, I'm going to do... Back to the horse. Yeah. Uh, So, apparently, there had been this old horse wandering the area of Highway 71. Just a loose horse. (laughs) And an old one. I thought you said this thing moved fast. Right. Um, So, sources vary, but some claim that that there was a dead horse found just outside of the Ford's property uh, from a shotgun blast. Okay. Right. Which, um, okay. Um, Blackburn <laughs> does point out the lack of hoof prints or blood in the subsequent searches after the initial event. <laughs> okay. All right. First off, I, 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 look, correlation does not equal causation. All right. <laughs> Secondly, this really sounds like fucking viral marketing for the big horse industry. <laughs> All right. Uh, if it's a horse, like, what is the horse doing reaching into a window? You got any sugar cubes in there? <laughs> hey, Fresh? do I have a carrot? <laughs> <laughs> it turns out it wasn't even an arm. It was just the muzzle of a horse. Yeah, and the horse, is just, the horse is just after a stack and they shoot it. <laughs> it becomes a tragedy. Hey. Hi, how you doing? You got any sugar? Ow! Why'd you shoot me? <laughs> Jesus. So, um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> possibly a dead horse. Okay. <laughs> so, let's, um, let's just move on from that and pretend right. it didn't happen. So, sightings continued. Within, so, it wasn't the dead horse. Yeah. So, <laughs> within two days of the woods' encounter on the highway, Another strange creature was sighted, and the sighting was published in the Texarkana Gazette. Got it right. God this bless. Time. God bless the Gazette, man. Right. They'll report anything. Yes. They'll pay you to write something for them. <laughs> um, so reports kind of continue to pop up all over the coming uh, weeks. On June second, three people claimed to have seen a tall and hairy red-eyed creature during the evening in the woods. Witness Gloria Dean Ritchie stated that she had saw uh, the creature squatting on an embankment across from her residence. Upon shining her flashlight on it, and likely startled by barking dogs in the neighborhood, the creature fled as agilely as previous encounters. So, essentially, she disrupted a Bigfoot taking a shit. You know, uh, that's the assumption that I have there, and the question is, why didn't they check for the shit? I'm, I'm telling you, maybe it didn't get started. Yeah, he's a it shy can't pooper. Go, it can't go when you're watching. The Boggy Creek Shy Pooper. <laughs> <laughs> I love this idea. So, you know, Richie saw the creature one last time before it vanished in the night. So, it, like, it Ooh. went it went into the um, woods, maybe came back out real quick, and then vanished into the woods um, again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were two other witnesses, Junior Goodman and Jerry Smallwood, who grabbed their guns and called the police. They then followed the trail of displaced and trampled weeds, but saw no other sign of the creature. 
I'm not going to lie. If I'm going into the woods looking for this thing, I'm not going to look very fucking far. Yeah, especially um, in the evening. Yeah. It's dark. It's spooky. It's a monster. I'm, I'm going to be like, well, it's gone. Let's go home. You know, and it's probably upset because it didn't get to poop. It's probably constipated. It had to crap near the hovel again. <laughs> well, we, oh, man, too bad we didn't title this episode Irritable Boggy Syndrome. <laughs> Well, there's our subtitle. There we go. So, um, <laughs> one, one of the things I like about Blackburn's book is it's particularly good about tracking the location and timing of these encounters. Like, he really gonna does say, his research. Yeah, I was going to say, he has done a fantastic job of mapping this shit. Yeah, there's this, this very distinct kind of, like, movement pattern for the beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it indeed was one entity... Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't kind of get into that idea that maybe there were multiple beasts, but um, yeah, it, it's always a possibility, I suppose. Um, so sightings on the fifth and the sixth of June, with similar details and descriptions, suggested that the creature was heading north. Disturbances and eyewitness encounters only increased the growing frenzy surrounding the beast of Boggy Creek. Tracks were also becoming more consistently found, encounter to encounter. Now, this is leading me to a theory that I want to discuss at the end of the episode. All right, so that's a little teaser for you, listener. Yes. So, Sunday, June 13th, Yother Kennedy, which is, that's a southern name, Yother. That's Yother. Yother Kennedy had discovered footprints in a soybean field, which had been recently plowed. That made it a prime place for clear footprints. Right. Now, the prints indicated that the beast had entered the field from the woods at one corner and exited the opposite side. So the thing just went completely diagonally across the field. It was just um, crossing the field to get somewhere. Yep. So these are the most important tracks in what we call the Falk Flap. The tracks measured at about 13.5 inches long, 4.5 mm-hmm. inches wide, and with a stride of about 57 inches. Now, again, the tracks only had three toes with a smaller toe print about five inches uh, back from the other. So, like, a you know, with, like, yeah. a chimpanzee, or it's, it's got that little small toe. Yeah, the, the, yeah, it looks more like a hand print than a footprint. Right. Now, yeah. these are remarkably consistent measurements with the other tracks that were discovered. Uh, I like, was going to say, yeah. We've mentioned uh, about 13 inches long uh, a couple of times in the series so far. Mm-hmm. So... The thing was, this encounter, or at least this discovery of the tracks, had occurred like a couple of uh, a couple of days prior because he had heard strange noises. David. Yes. Were they horse noises? I assume they were. I assume. Okay. I'm I'm going to assume now that the Boggy Creek monster just impersonates horses. I'm going to assume he kidnapped a horse and raised it as a son. (laughs) This is my horse boy. (laughs) I named him Theoden King. (laughs) Boggy and Horse Boy coming to ABC. (laughs) I'd watch it. I would too. So, so, yeah, so um, Kennedy kind of hears these strange noises, and then a couple of days later... Uh, he discovers these soybean, or he discovers these tracks in the soybean field. Right. But this ends up being kind of a key incident because it brought together several individuals who become important to the lore of these encounters and Charles B. Pierce's eventual film. 
So this is kind of like the Avengers moment of the Boggy Creek War. <laughs> this is when Coulson gets shot. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so specifically, uh, several citizens and officials from Falk arrived on Sunday morning, including Sheriff H.L. Phillips, J.E. Smokey Crabtree, <laughs> Willie Smith, and Ernest Walraven. Look, this... I... <sighs> I don't know, man. It, it just, I picture Smokey there at the fringe going, I told you, sons of bitches, it was out there. Now, see, every time I read uh, Smokey Crabtree, all I think about is like Jiggle Billy from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> just a dude in his like red PJs, his overalls, with a big old straw hat, and a. a hey, y'all commence to hunting! <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um,. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Willie Smith here. So, Oh, please do. Willie Smith, uh, he shows up, and he's particularly alarmed, given that he had apparently seen these tracks many times in the past, and he was one of the first people to suggest that the creature likely lived in the creek surrounding the place, uh, surrounding Falk. All right. If this were a scripted film, this would be the point where everybody slowly turns and looks at him as he's saying, I've seen these tracks before. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like it would be like kind of like a dramatic moment, but it's also an example of that thing where people just did not talk about this shit. Yeah, no, this is great. This but, is fantastic. But suddenly there there are fucking footprints. I'm like, okay, so uh, yeah, I've seen these before. Yeah. So you know, as uh, word spreads, other locals become involved. Mm-hmm. Rick Roberts was one of the curious visitors. He would eventually come to own the the local Monster Martin Falk, which is still there this day. That's awesome. Um, it is one of those places that most directly serves as a tourist location for monster enthusiasts. It's you know it's got decorated elements and everything like that. They sell little Boggy Creek souvenirs, not like right. crazy stuff. It's um, kind of like the a- the little alien in Roswell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. every time you have these kind of, like, over in Point Pleasant, you've got, like, this sort of stuff. You just, wherever you have these monster or cryptid encounters, there's oh, someone yeah. who's going to be like, oh, I can make a buck off of this. And Sure, and happens. I don't begrudge them. I mean... Gotta but, respect the hustle. Yeah, and if the creature comes out of the woods, he better get a cut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I heard you've been selling my likeness. <sighs> Where's my cut this month? <laughs> I need to buy sugar cubes for horse boy. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Rick Roberts' mother, Jane, was an arts and crafts enthusiast, and she was the one to take the plaster mold of the prints for the cops, as they didn't really have any experience with taking prints. All right. Look, no no shade or anything, but if Jane didn't sell copies of the footprints at the Monster Mart, well, you know, that's her own fault. Now, see, over at the Monster Mart, I know that they do have the original print, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's on display and everything like that, but I don't know if they made copies of it. I feel like they would. it would be too risky to make copies of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess, but like, there is a part of me, like you said one time, I, I really want a keychain mm-hmm. of the print. Yeah, you know, maybe with 3D printing, they can take like a scan and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving them ideas, you know, but we would love a keychain. If you're listening, we would love several keychains. I have got three 3D printers right now, and I'm going to look for them now. <laughs> so, um, also on site, of course, was Jim Powell, who had covered the two previous major encounters with the woods and the fords. Um, 
He it's invi- like fucking Kolchak the Night Stalker here. Right, right. <laughs> um, so he invites radio personality David Hall to the site as well. Uh-huh. Powell, Powell expressed skepticism, particularly due to the apparent care the creature had put into not stepping on the soybean sprouts. Okay, yeah, that is a little iffy, but can you imagine if you'd replace David Hall with like a morning zoo DJ? <laughs> Good morning, this, this is Sasquatch Hunt uh, on WK-Saw. WK-Saw, and this is Billy and the Wolf Boy. Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> uh, up next is Creedence Clearwater Revival. Bad Moon Rising! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it would be a different flavor if it was a morning do- zoo DJ. It's like, <laughs> I-, I dare you yeah. to eat the dirt, I dare you to eat the foot dirt. <laughs> get you tickets for the local baseball game if you eat Oh dirt. my god. I, you know, this just makes me really glad Howard Stern never got into the paranormal. Oh man, pa- Howard Stern doing the paranormal would be fantastic. What are you talking about? That's true. Like the Bigfoot print. Yeah, he'd, he'd go into a house full of ghosts and be like, okay, so uh, can you take your top off? <laughs> Alright. Lay your speaker down. Now sit on the speaker. Turn the <laughs> volume up. Um... Well, and then I, w- I want to bring up that soybean sprout situation because... Um, yeah, please do. We, we've talked a little bit about, like, the Native American influence in all of this. That, you know, yeah. that, like, each each culture had its own name for the creature. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm sure I'm diving into cliche here. I do not mean to offend. But there's definitely, like, there's always been this kind of association between the Native Americans and nature. Yes. So if we... If we can make the assumption that this uh, this creature is of that kind of background and part of nature yeah. itself, like I can understand it not stepping on the sprouts. No, I can understand that because it's like it's a growing thing. Yeah, it, it could be a potential food source later. Also, it's another thing where it's like, you know, in human nature when you're walking and there's like, you don't want to step on, like, the seam in the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. Yeah, if you step on a sprout, you get found out. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like, I can understand the soybean sprout. Like, obviously, it's also kind of skeptical. It's like, okay, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah is. sure. It it's a little a fishy. One. Yeah. Yeah, didn't step on none of your expensive crops. Yeah, we yeah. gotcha. So, you know, Powell's report on the situation, it was neutral. Um, mm-hmm. But it kind of exploded and was page one news in the Texarkana Gazette. Oh, thank God. Right. Resulting in like a media explosion that would culminate with a filmmaker arriving with an ambitious idea for a docudrama. So we'll return with part three of our series next week when we return with Charles B. Pierce, a posse and the ongoing sightings of the Boggy Creek Monster. Yeehaw! We gonna hunt that fucker down and hang him from a tree! With the best hunting dogs in this American Southeast. Oh my god, I can't wait for the hunting dogs, dude. This is <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. So, awesome work, man. Uh, Thank you. That was a fantastic episode. Uh, do you mind if I jump into my theory real quick? Please, by all means, it is your podcast. Alright, well... <laughs> so, we're gonna talk about the violent nature of the creature for a second. And the alien number of toes, mm-hmm. and this migratory pattern, and all the things that make this very different from your typical North American Sasquatch. The question is, what if this thing is some kind of an outcast? 
Okay. What if this is like a yeah actually is a Yowie from Australia, banished here by its brethren for its violent nature? What if this thing is some kind of spirit, and it's here because its brethren just couldn't deal with it? How did it get here? Well, they 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 did a banishing thing. Obviously, there's spirits. So, so like, are you saying that there's like a Yowie society and that they uh, cast some sort of ritual? Actually, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know what? I'll allow it. Okay, that's good because <laughs> no, um, I I have a feeling that like there's more to Sasquatches as a culture mm-hmm. than we give them credit for. Right. Yeah, and you know, I think it kind of goes back to that point that I had just made about like the soybeans um and just yes. like th- these things do seem to be intelligent. You don't get the sense that mm-hmm. these are like dumb wild animals. They, there seems to be an intelligence. I, I think when we talked about uh, during our Big Feats and Sweaty Men's episode, mm-hmm. I had mentioned uh, that guy in the Pacific Northwest who <clears throat> was leaving stuff out for a Sasquatch, like an orange, and then he came back and it was unpeeled. The orange was gone, but the peel was still there. Yeah, yeah. and I agree. I mean, it's if it was a dumb animal, we would have caught it by now. Mm-hmm. It's a little too clever for saying. that, though. Oh, yeah. No, no. This guy definitely went to uh, community college. <laughs> so Cryptid you. Uh, cryptid you. Oh, man. That's a comic. <laughs> That's a comic or a uh, uh, Cartoon Network show. There you go. How yeah. Not to Be Seen 101. Yes. Taught by a creature voiced by John Cleese. <laughs> so... Thank you again for this episode. I really, really enjoy these. Oh, of course. And I'm glad we're going to get to do a third one. I, I had wanted to do this in two, but it just I wanted to spend a lot of time on some of these encounters and kind of uh, setting up the frenzy that we're going to kind of follow through with the yeah. third part. It's kind of like uh, the Hobbit trilogy, except it deserves a third part. <laughs> so... While we're on the subject of uh, Big Feats and Sweaty Men's, I want to bring up the fact that on Saturday, November 6th, myself and Clark Wayne will be in Natchez, Mississippi for the Natchez Bigfoot Birthday Bash. We will be at the VIP tent with all of your favorite Sasquatch hunting celebrities uh, and Turtle Man and all sorts of people. And uh, we're going to get a chance to talk to these folk. I'm going to try not to piss them off by bringing up Bigfoot being a spirit. And <laughs> Oh, man. Is there, yeah. Is, so I'm not, I'm not like a huge squatcher, you know what I mean? But is that like yeah, a... Yeah, same, but... Is that like a school that, like... Is, are those two schools that get into tangles constantly? It's, it's like... Uh, you know how no UFO groups get along? Uh-huh. Yeah, spiritual Bigfoot people and nuts and bolts Bigfoot people, for lack of a better term, do mm-hmm. not get along. So, yeah. It, it would I, be fun to get, like, a spiritual Bigfoot person and a nuts and bolts Bigfoot person together on a podcast and just let them have it out. Yes, that would be amazing. So, I am looking up some details of who we've got down there. We're going to have Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Todd Standing... 
Dr. Jeff Meldrum is a scientist and professor, mm-hmm. standing Canadian filmmaker and researcher, M.K. Davis, Bigfoot researcher, and uh, there's going to be other guests. Just a second, event overview. I know they're going to be doing a film festival involving uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek Ooh. and Harry and the Hendersons. Nice. The, the yes. two the two perfect Bigfoot movies. It really is. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Todd Standing is a featured lecturer, and he has is the star and director of the documentary Discovering Bigfoot and was featured on Les Stroud's Survivor Man TV show. Now, I love Les Stroud. And I, oh, I appreciate that he's like a serious squatcher too. Like, yeah, like I, yeah, he's he's a great dude. I love I love Survivor Man. I can't tell you how much of that shit I watched in high school. Yes, I I love the show. Uh, also, apparently, and this is a good reason to go. Part of the proceeds benefit the Home with Heroes five hundred one C three and kidney transplant of Todd and Mark Welch. Huh. Uh, son is donating a kidney to his father. Uh, Home with Heroes is a nonprofit organization committed to bringing veterans and active duty military together and into the outdoors to honor and thank them for their service. So definitely uh, come on down and see us. We're going to have a great time. There's going to be music. Uh, Afro Man's going to be there. Oh, man. So, yeah, come watch him punch a woman on stage. No, I didn't say that. Sorry, I'll cut that out. Uh, but Afro Man's going to be there. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm going to be there. Clark's going to be there. And uh, I invite you to come say hi. And uh, Sunday morning, we'll like uh, still be there, and we'll go get something to eat. And if you want to hang out, I'll be tweeting on the Supernat Pod Twitter where we're going to be. So come visit. You should totally see if you can get Afro Man to do a uh, station plug. Dude, I want Afro Man to do a station plug and want him to do a new theme song for our show. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, man. So, uh, that being said, that's about it for the episode. Uh, David, give us your plugs, man. Uh, yes, you can find me on the socials as HPKOMIC. I have a couple of uh, web comics you can read. One called Cosmic Dash, the other called Argybots. Both awesome comics. I appreciate that. I also am a. Uh, I have a, a show here on um, Deviant Behavior Radio called The Mutant Hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday and Wednesdays at about midnight Central Time. Play uh, a lot of fun music, and then I also have a podcast of which uh, Kevin has been on a couple of times. Uh, it's called very happy to do it. Yeah, it's called Kids' Stuff, a Chucky podcast, and we're just talking about Chucky the Killer doll, which is just freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I ended up converting you to the cult, which was a lot of fun. All hail Chucky! <laughs> so yeah, uh, fun stuff. Uh, you can find me here on the show. Uh, you can find our website at. Uh, supernatpod.rocks hit us up on twitter at supernatpod you can find us on facebook by either searching uh, supernatural selection or at supernatpod Uh, we have also got ways to contact us on the website Uh, please join our patreon David Holyfield is still king of the podcast (laughs) if you would like to 
dethrone David Holyfield, you can. Just donate at any of our three levels. You will get a shout-out no matter what you do. You should have him on at some point. <clears throat> I really should if I can get a hold of him. He's a busy boy. Aww. He's a friend of mine, but boy, is he a busy boy. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's it for the plugs, really. So... I guess it just leaves me to say thank you for listening. David, thank you for being on the show again. You're knocking it out of the park. Thank you. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with part three of the Falk Monster, followed by an episode about Graham Hancock and his lost civilizations theories. And following that, we're going to try to get the technical issues worked out with my recorder and you, me, and Mike are going to discuss Skinwalker Ranch. Yes. I am excited about this. I blew Mike's mind telling him about it, and not in a good way. <laughs> so, everybody, we'll see you next time. Remember that we love you. Uh, agape, not Eros. Maybe a little bit Eros. <laughs> and uh, stay frosty. Goodbye. Supernatural Selection has been a production of DeviantBehaviorRadio.com. You can find it and more shows broadcast weekly at DeviantBehaviorRadio.com. Our theme music is Screensaver by Kevin McLeod. It is used through Creative Commons license, and more of his music can be found at incompetech.filmmusic.io.